the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. So today we're going to read, we're going to go over the whole uh, chapter of Daniel chapter 4, but today for our time of reading we will read Daniel chapter 4, verses 34, 35, and 37. Daniel chapter 4, 34, 35 and 37. Please stand when you're there. It is our tradition uh, to stand in honor of God's word as we read. Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 37. But at the end of that period of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? Verse 37. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true, his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. You may be seated. Now again, allow me to put this in context of where we've been going so far. So we had that that dream of Nebuchadnezzar, if you recall, with the statue, right? In the meantime, Zedekiah, the, the appoint, guy he appointed over Jerusalem to be sort of king, governor, after his first attack on Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, okay? He's gone back again and attacked it when there's been some rebellion and taken Ezekiel captive and others, all right? But Zedekiah makes a pact with Egypt and then rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar sends his army to Jerusalem, and that begins the siege of Jerusalem. In July of August of 586 BC, after two and a half years of siege, the army takes, Nebuchadnezzar's army takes Jerusalem. Okay? What's interesting when he does, now I want to get back up. When this first, when 605, when he attacked Jerusalem the first time, Jeremiah gives a prophecy that Israel will be taken away into captivity for 70 years. And then in in a little later, Jeremiah gives another prophecy, we talked about it last week, that says that 
Nebuchadnezzar, his whole kingdom, will be overtaken and will fall, which fits with that vi- the vision he had of the statue. Okay. When he takes Jerusalem for the final time, actually sacks it, tears down the walls, tears down the temple, he gives the orders to protect Jeremiah. Yeah, I think it's Jeremiah 39, I think it is where you can see that. He actually, this is the guy that prophesied his downfall, but he's smart enough to know this. Don't take that guy. Don't treat that guy bad. Four years later is about the time of this story. So you've gone through the statue that says his kingdom is going to be taken away. You've gone through these prophecies. You've gone through the point where he builds a whole statue of, of gold like himself going, no, I ain't not, this ain't going to fall. Uh, yeah, right. But then he has another great victory. He goes down and sends his guys down to Jerusalem and, and means besieged. He wins this battle, destroys the temple of their God. And here he is at this point in his life. He's feeling pretty good about himself. Now, I didn't read it, but the beginning of the chapter here, it starts with Nebuchadnezzar talking. Listen to how he speaks. I, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the peoples, nations, men of every language that live in all the earth. That is obviously hyperbole because he wasn't king over Central America or Asia. Okay, not Eastern Asia. May your peace abound. It seems good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. So he's the one that starts telling this story that you heard me share with the children. He, now he's looking back at what happened. He says, it's important that I testify, if I can use a Christian term, about what God did. And we get to verse 4. He says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. Life is good, and it's all because of me. Okay? But in the midst of this, he has this dream. It's disturbing to him. This guy has dreams that keep him up at night. And like he always does, he calls upon the sorcerers and the, you know, astrologers and the magicians and so on to all come to try to interpret his dream. Okay? But eventually, it's Daniel's turn. He gets, he's called the chief of the magi, or magicians, magi, the wise men. So finally he comes, and that gets us to verse 8 and 9. Finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belshazzar. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He gives his Hebrew name, and they say, yeah, but I renamed him Belshazzar, if you remember that. Okay? According to the name of my God. There's Daniel, but I named him after my God, in whom the spirit of the holy gods, plural, Okay. I related my dream to him, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the Magi, since I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery baffles you. Notice where he's giving credit to Daniel's gift is to his gods. Yeah, by the end of this, he changes his tone. Okay. But remember, he has defeated the temple. In those days, they thought of gods as residing in buildings. So Nebuchadnezzar was famous, and you can go online and look at artist renditions of these temples that they started digging up there, and I showed some of them when we first began this. Okay? So the idea that you beat the otherwise God means your God's bigger than their God. That's the idea. 
Okay. So as you heard me tell the children, he has this vision of this massive great tree that can be seen from all over. It's amazing. Animals come from everywhere and birds of the air come and, and they, they basically get substance to eat from this tree. Okay, and don't ask me how mammals could eat from the tree, but this is a dream, right? Or carnivores anyway. And then it uses this term, angelic watcher. Guardian. This is maybe another word. Angelic watcher is from the NAS, okay, New American Standard Bible. <clears throat> but I, it's a, an angelic spiritual guardian, if I could say it that way. A holy one descended from heaven. I think this is the part that probably messed up with him because he's doing fine with the tree thing and the animals and the shade and the eating. And you heard me as I told the kids, this angelic guardian says, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, scatter its fruit. Tells him to leave this stump and roots in the ground and to wrap it, strap it with iron and bronze. And again, we can sort of take the imagery from, remember the statue with the, and the bronze and the iron and the kingdom is going to come after him. And leave it in a field of new grass. Let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. Let a beast mind been given to him. Yeah, that, that'd sort of disturb you in your dreams too, wouldn't it? Because notice he calls the stump a him, not it, him. And it says, and let it be for seven periods of time to pass over him. Now, many scholars want to argue how long the seven periods of time is, all right? <clears throat> Typically, um, these periods of time refer to years, all right? But there are those who, who argue by the, the calendar, it may have been the two particular seasons they measure, <clears throat> and the fact that it says his fingernails grow as the claws of a bird, well, your fingernails grow about an inch and a half a year, if you don't clip them, if they don't get broken. But I'm going to imagine if I'm crawling all fours, they're not, right? I'm going to imagine they're not growing as fast. So I'm not going to say within a year it's over, but it's these seven periods of time. And we get into this idea, everybody, when we get in over to chapter 7 to chapter 9, time, times and a half. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Supposedly, that's three and a half years. Okay, so this isn't just something to talk about. And we'll talk about that more when we get there. And it says this. This is what the, the uh, guardian angel guy pronounces. This sentence is by decree. A decision made by the commands to the holy ones. It's a decree, decree, decree. Okay, I'm, I'm doing that on purpose. In order that. Let me tell you why he's given this decree, why he's doing this. That the living may know. I, are you alive? You, that's all of us, by the way, the living. Okay. That the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Let me tell you, I, I, the reason this is being done, not just for Nebuchadnezzar, but all those living will understand God's in charge of them. Then he asked, again, <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar does, all right, Belshazzar, tell me, interpret this, 
Okay, none of the other wise men can. They're not able to make the interpretation because in you is the spirit of the gods. He's still thinking in the idea of his gods. Daniel actually in verse 19 is stunned. He's sort of taken back as God has revealed to him the answer to this dream, the interpretation. And he says, oh, king, I really wish this vision was about those who hate you and your enemies. I I wish it was that. But it ain't. You're the tree. And the king actually encourages him to be bold enough to share the interpretation. And in verse 24, Daniel says, this is the decree of the most high God. You're the one that's going to be driven away from mankind, the dwelling place of men, to the place of beast in the field. You'll eat grass like the cattle. You'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. You'll be outside and you'll get wet from the dew. For seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it whoever he wishes. Now, watch this. There's going to be seven periods of time until he does something. Notice it's the seven periods of time that dictates till he does it. Too many people want to say, until, well, if Nebuchadnezzar had done it in three periods of time, that was what would have happened. The whole point that God's making here is he's in charge, not Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't determine when this period ends. It's going to be this period until to that point, or that point in time, I think is in the whole Christian standard Bible, you recognize that he is the most high in charge of all things. When you do... Your kingdom will be restored to you as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Why do you think God would use this idea and say to him that heaven rules? Come on, anybody know about Zoroastrianism? The Babylonian, Sumerian, all focused on astrology. That predicted the future. Oh, you know, 500 years later, 580-something years later, there's some magi in Babylon looking at the stars. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the three wise men. They're still looking at the stars then, but somehow or another, they've been told about a star that's going to tell about a Savior in Israel. Gee, I wonder how that happened. But Daniel, after giving him the interpretation, Daniel says, can I give you some advice, O king? That's pretty bold. You can get your head cut off for bad advice. Let me give you some advice. Separate yourself from your sins by doing righteousness. He didn't say just quit sinning because I'm going to be honest, you just try to quit sinning, you don't put something else in his place, you have a hard time. He says, look, you separate yourself from your sin, not just stop, separate by doing what is right. Okay. Separate yourself from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, needy, oppressed. Many scholars believe this is actually a statement about the Hebrews that are in captivity. This is, I think, why, why Daniel might have been a little nervous. It wasn't just, hey, you know, you'd be nice to the poor folk. Yeah, you need to separate from your sin and your iniquities by treating all these people you just took captive, the, my Jewish buddies. Treating them with mercy. Okay? Then the Bible just, bump makes a stop. And it says, 12 months later. 
This is where I have a hard time gathering maybe these periods, these seasons of time, periods of time, is exactly one year. Because here they use the term 12 months. So it doesn't, however long their calendar is, which is a, okay, a, a lunar month, it's, so it's 360 days a year, not 365. So however, 12 months later, the king's up on his wolf roof walking around. Does anybody can tell anybody the story in the Bible where the king's up on a roof? David. But he's up on the roof of the royal palace. And this is what he says to himself. Is this not Babylon the great? For I myself, not I, I myself, emphasizing him, have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. Uh Uh-oh. I don't, I, don't, I don't think he heard Daniel's advice. He, he's really feeling like he's looking out over Babylon. And he's going, man, I'm in, look what I can do. Man, I, I've done this amazing thing. <clears throat> Listen, while the word was in the king's mouth, while he's saying it. Now, is he saying it out loud or is he saying it to himself? I'm not sure. It seemed like he's saying it out loud because loud, it's in his mouth. A voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared. Kingdom has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind. Dwelling of the beasts of the field repeats the seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind. Notice he's not saying this until you understand that God's the ruler of the Babylonian domain. No. <laughs> Mankind, when you figure out, you thought your kingdom was big. When you figure out your kingdom's nothing compared to God's kingdom. And he bestows it, the realm, the rulership over various people of the earth, whoever he wishes. I want you to think about that in a moment, just for a minute. The last election. You can complain about whoever you want, however you think they got there. You can say cheating, no cheating. I'm not saying there was or wasn't. You can say whatever you want. You know what? Our president's there because God bestows it on who he wants. Amen. Hmm. And immediately the word of Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind. How long did it take? Words are in his mouth. God makes a declaration right there. He's out being a cow. Okay, And it, then it talks about his hair grows like the feathers of eagles and his fingernails grow like bird claws. And at the end of that period, verse 34, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and reason returned to me. I blessed, this is where we read it, I blessed the Most High and praised and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. If a pagan, idol-worshiping king can praise God, he, he wasn't redeemed by the cross of Christ like you are. You, you should be able to say this kind of thing while you're doing the dishes, mowing, whatever you're doing, you could just give it. All, now listen to this part. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. Compared to what? God. 
See, Nebuchadnezzar compared himself to other, you know, no, no other king's man accomplished what I accomplished. Not the best thing to be comparing yourself to others. I forget where it says in Scripture, but comparing is foolishness. I think it's in Proverbs. Hmm. Here's many scholars have a problem with this story because they can't find, they say, extra outside the Bible mention of Nebuchadnezzar's mental derangement here. Well, to that I say this. From a particular point about this time in Nebuchadnezzar's, he stops writing about himself. So you can go all over and there's tablets and stones and things all over the place where Nebuchadnezzar writes about himself. And the Babylonians were different than the Assyrians who had that area till Nebuchadnezzar and those guys took over from the Assyrians. The Assyrians wrote about their conquest. The Babylonians wrote about more domestic issues, like I built these amazing highways and towers, and, and I did this, and I cut taxes, you know, sort of like the State of the Union address, you know, where the president tells you everything he's done while he's president kind of thing. How often does he tell you in the State of the Union where he messed up? Okay, so these kings didn't tend to do that. Okay, kings don't tend to tell that they messed up. But anyway, he, he just, there's just this break in the historical record. Second is, most kings don't write about their mess-ups. Right? Okay. This is what makes the Bible amazing. There ain't a guy in the Bible, a king, particularly a ruler, where the Bible doesn't tell us where they messed up. That is unique out of all historical documents. Now, if one group takes over from another group, this guy might write about his mess-ups. But they don't, okay? The Bible, we read about David is a good example. That, the, all these kings that they've gone about in Israel and Judah, it continually tells us how they messed up. But that wasn't the practice. When you, today, if you dig up some stone or papyri or whatever it is, they, 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 whoever the king, the Pharaoh, whatever it is, ain't telling you where they messed up. So to me, again, I, there wasn't a lot during that period of time, very little, very, very little. Okay, and I have footnotes if you guys want to know what scholars and ar archaeologists tell you that. All right, okay. Then they, the second point is they don't tend to write about their mistakes. And then an argument from absence is not an argument at all. It's a logical fallacy. Since there isn't any, uh, any evidence of this, this is the case. Well, absence of evidence is not evidence at all, obviously. Okay, just because there isn't evidence doesn't mean an event it didn't happen. Okay, and some examples of that, we know that Nebuchadnezzar conquered the city of Tyre. There are no records of his conquering of Tyre. Just at a quick point in time, we read some stuff where he's got his governors over Tyre. So at some point, he conquered the city of Tyre. But then there's no records of it. So that means he didn't do it, right? There's various records along that way because these guys didn't tend to write about their conquest. All right, uh, We know most about the conquest of Jerusalem from Scripture. He has a military campaign in Egypt, for example. Doesn't, we, we know about it from the Egyptians, but we really don't know about it from Nebuchadnezzar. So absence doesn't mean a thing. Okay? Um, and again, they didn't write about their military stuff as well. So, so there's plenty of reasons here. It's just because you haven't dug up a document that says King Nebuchadnezzar went crazy. Now, I'm going to be honest. They do have some documents about 
some of his relatives going nuts like this. And there, there's another tablet they dug up that Nebuchadnezzar seems to flip-flop in his orders and having problems, so they go to his son and go, what's, what's going on here? But again, I don't think that's strong evidence for this. It might imply it, but I don't know. Okay, But my point being, just because there isn't any historical record, there's plenty of reasons why there shouldn't be. Um, and now that we've addressed that, let's talk about a little practical lessons that we can learn from this story. Okay, First of all, I want you to notice Daniel's advice. Well, you're a big sinner. Too bad. Burn. No, Daniel's like, repent. Change your ways. Then God gives him a year to do it. He doesn't, he doesn't do this happen right at the time of the vision. Daniel says, repent, and gives him a year to do that. Twelve months to do that. God's patience with the person that's sinning that he knows because he's already said, this is going to happen to you. But even though I said that, I'm going to still give you that chance. Why? Because then you can't say, I didn't give you the chance. Jesus died on the cross about 2,000 years ago. And he's given everybody a 2,000-year chance. You, you can read all over in the Scripture where God promises that his wrath is going to fall on the wicked. And in an eternal sense. And he has been patient with everybody since. Why is there evil and suffering? One of the reasons they're really suffering, because God's patient. He's giving time for people to repent. Second, pride. I know it's not you. It couldn't be. If you don't think it's you, maybe suggest then it is you. Pride is keeping you from thinking you ever be prideful. Think about the spiritual arrogance of that. Not me. The person who thinks says they don't sin, the Bible says is a liar. It's God in his sovereign rule that's doing it. I'm not going to stay on that because I'll really start preaching then. But, you know, the theme of the book of Daniel is God's sovereignty. Story after, over a fiery furnace, over lions in the den, over statues, over kings. Over, I set them up, I tear them down. God is sovereign. That is the th biggest theme in Daniel. So when you read all those prophecies, you're trying to figure out who the beast is. And the, remember, the point is this. God's sovereign over history. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. 
Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.